0: Hi, this is Terry McCarty, and uh, welcome once again to Reviews and Otherwise. Uh, today I'm going to talk about the Val Kilmer documentary titled Val uh, that was directed or assembled by Ting Poo and Leo Scott. and But the actual auteurs uh, were basically Val Kilmer, His uh, son Jack, and Jack does the narration since uh, Val Kilmer, having had a couple of uh, tracheotomies uh, because of uh, throat cancer, his voice now is where he has to hold in the. Tracheotomy opening in the throat to be able to to speak, and the the speech is very uh, guttural, and they use subtitles in the film to uh, to you know better explain or better interpret what he's uh, saying. And uh, before I go much further, uh, for a little bit of historical context, years ago, I remember reading one of the Rex Reed uh, uh, newspaper column uh, compilation books, and uh, there was an interview with uh, George Pappard, and... Most people know George Papard uh, now as merely the star of the TV series, The A Team, and a few people my age or older might uh, know him for the early 70s uh, recurring uh, mystery series, uh, Banachek. But uh, Papard had a career that uh, in terms of movies ran from the late 50s essentially into the uh, late 70s and early on he viewed himself as a actor studio uh, type of actor believed in the method and uh, As his career uh, went on, because he was uh, quite handsome, uh, he wound up uh, being led down the uh, personality movie star road. And you could say his first uh, big success in that regard was uh, the leading man to Audrey Hepburn, in uh, Blake Edwards' uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's and he was successful through the 60's uh, another film that comes to immediate mind is the Harold Robbins uh, adaptation The Carpetbaggers uh, where he played a very loose uh, takeoff off on uh, Howard Hughes, and the Carpetbaggers is interesting viewing now. Uh, I'm sure that uh, for the people who are adventurous enough, uh, it would make an interesting bottom half to a Howard Hughes double bill with uh, Scorsese's uh, The Aviator. But uh, by the late 60s and early 70s, uh, Papard and his career wound up uh, kind of ebbing off into doing, like, programmer uh, comedies or westerns uh, at Universal. And um, eventually, uh, well, he, well, he did Banachek, um... And after Banachek was canceled, uh, he uh, did a Dirty hairy imitation that I'd never seen titled uh, Newman's Law, did a short life series, Doctor's Hospital, and uh, after a few more years of the receding career, uh, then by 1983 is when the A-Team came on and enabled Papard to, uh, you know, do the personality star thing, even though uh, actors like Mr. T and uh, Dwight Schultz uh, eventually, well, also Dirk Benedict, who if you remember the old Battlestar Star Galactica series, was kind of a younger version of Papard. and anyway, those those actors kind of zoomed past uh, Papard in terms of the grabbing of viewer interest. But the reason to mention George Papard is that the documentary Val Kilmer uh, sanctioned uh, Val. It's like uh, Val's career path uh, took a similar trajectory that uh, he went to New York, uh, attended Juilliard, came out of Juilliard and was hoping to uh, uh, be known as a serious actor. And one of the plays he did, Slab Boys, he was cast as the lead and then uh, had to be bumped uh, a couple of uh, notches because the production had the ability to cast uh, Kevin Bacon and Sean Penn who were already uh, quite hot in movies and uh, after that um, uh, Hollywood was interested in in, uh, Val, and he went to London and made the Zucker, Abraham Zucker, uh, Top Secret, which for me, uh, it's just a very patchy uh, film, but uh, it does have a cult following. three decades plus later, and during the filming of that he met his uh, future wife, Joanne Wally, uh, who was uh, starring in a a West End play. And from there, uh, because uh, Val was pretty copious with uh, having a video camera and shooting behind the scenes on the sets, uh, went on to Real Genius, which kind of gets short shrift in this film, and uh, uh, then, of course, the breakout, uh, which became uh, the phenomenon of uh, Top Gun, which he said he wasn't uh, interested in the script and wasn't interested in uh, glorification of war, but... Obviously, uh, studios and agents and commercial considerations prevailed, and uh, he played Iceman, and um, of course, the you know, the rest is uh, pretty much history. And from there, he uh, moved on into the 90s, where a lot of the films he's known for now were were made and released uh, Oliver Stone's uh, The Doors where he played Jim Morrison and uh, lived inside Jim Morrison to, to the extent that it uh, uh, tore some fabric in terms of his uh, marriage to Joanne Wally and um, Another film that kind of gets short shrift, but, it, but, it, but he was good at the time, was the Michael Apted, uh, Thunderheart. And then the probably the peak period for him was uh, by the mid-90s. Uh, uh, relatively uh, small, but choice role in uh, Michael Mann's Heat playing Batman for Joel Schumacher and Batman forever which he essentially regarded as uh, soap opera acting and and then of course the iconic uh, role of uh, Doc Holiday in the Film Tombstone, which to me is uh, not all that but I'm kind of in the minority uh, I'm, to me I prefer the uh, uh, Lawrence Kastan, uh Kevin Costner Wyatt Earp but uh, having seen clips again of uh, Tombstone in this it's like you can't deny the Chemistry that uh, Val had with Kurt Russell's uh, Wyatt Earp, and he does discuss the Doc Holiday death scene, where he basically imitated uh, Marlon Brando's uh, death scene in *Mutiny on the Bounty*, and had uh, ice cubes uh, placed under the bounty was lying on to be able to manage a more convincing uh, death throes, uh, last moments of life uh, atmosphere. And post-mid-90s, uh, it's like the things started to go downhill. He, he did the Ghost in the Darkness, uh, where, of course, it's not in the film that uh, Michael Douglas uh, Famously told him on set, uh, you know, uh, shape up, behave yourself, be more of a professional, and so that. And then uh, moving on to the Saint, uh, uh, which was the one-off teaming of him and Elizabeth Shue, meant to be a franchise and wasn't, and. The end of the decade, he had done a, a film, I believe, with Mira Sorvino at first sight, where he played a blind person and uh, was good in that. By 2000, uh, Red Planet, and anyway, uh, between the mid 90s and 2000, and I, I forgot the. Uh, infamous uh, Island of Dr. Moreau, that's when the bad behavior on set, uh, overzealous uh, perfectionist, uh, that's when all of these things kind of stuck to him, and he essentially... The film kind of tries to have it both ways with uh, like archival footage from people like Tom Sizemore and Robert Downey Jr. You know, the, uh, yeah, it's okay to be a perfectionist stuff. And then towards the end, in the uh, Val narrated by Jack, in uh, uh, and, and, uh, dialogue, there's a little bit of uh, regret for his uh, behavior, and anyway, uh, the before the throat cancer uh, restructured his career into occasional uh, small films and uh, a lot of uh, working like Collector show type environments including the San Diego Comic-Con and a screening of uh, Tombstone in uh, Austin. Uh, Before all that happened, uh, he followed Hal Holbrook's example and uh, made a a small career of uh, live uh, stage appearances as Mark Twain and even directed and, and starred in a, in a uh, film that pre- preserved his uh, Twain imitation and in, in the latter part of the film you see like uh, roughly 2012- 2013 footage in Malibu of him like on the beach and one wan- wandering around Malibu with the uh, Twain uh, full. Wig and costume, and uh, there is a kind of a Rosebud uh, type uh, incident that is described in the early portion of the film, and it uh, probably was something that had obvious effect on. Uh, Val's later life and career was that his uh, younger brother and the film itself opens with him and, the, and, and his two brothers doing like a home movie uh, parody imitation of uh, Jaws and the, the younger brother had uh, epilepsy and a I guess the father didn't uh, have him take his medication on time so he he wound up uh, dying and I believe he was at the age of 15 so in a in a way that may explain a lot and then of course the George prepared like trajectory of uh, you know, want to be a great actor, you want to do your best work, and uh, you find yourself uh, being a movie star and in movies that uh, don't uh, ask uh, for the optimum of your talent, and that likely fueled uh, a lot of the ego and hubris that you that you can see in the mid-90s to 00s. And there's a video clip uh, f- uh, from the Dr. Moreau shoot where he's kind of needling uh, John Frankenheimer, the, the, the director, just a bit too much. And uh, he doesn't come off uh, at all well in that. But uh, anyway, uh, Val I, I recommend pretty highly, and it's had its uh, couple of weeks in theaters, uh, and it's now playing on Amazon Prime, and uh, I really recommend it as a view of. Uh, show business uh, plus just uh, between between the show business and his life uh, as it was and and has been uh, since uh, since he's been dealing with uh, throat cancer. Just a reminder of how things happen and uh, that one doesn't anticipate and uh, how you or how well you deal and, and can make the very best out of the circumstances that are available to you and Toward the end of the film, there's a little bit of a, foot, a footage of an artist colony that he's uh, developed uh, to encourage other people's uh, talent and, and uh, careers, and uh, uh, definite kudos to him for that. So that's all I uh, have to say about Val, and uh, please, by all means, uh, watch it on Amazon and uh, anyway if you like what you've been hearing uh, please uh, recommend it on your favorite form of uh, social media and uh, I'll be back uh, with future episodes one on uh, Anthony Bourdain's uh, the now controversial Morgan Neville documentary Roadrunner And also, uh, James Gunn's uh, The Suicide Squad. So thanks again. And this is Terry McCarty. You've been listening to uh, Reviews and Otherwise. And see you sometime soon.